0: Um, last week, we started in the book of Mark, and it starts like this, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so I was reminded this week that this, even this very first verse is super important because in our world, in our time, if you ask, who is Jesus, you're going to get a very different answer from almost everybody that you ask. Um, Each person has a different view of Jesus, and in addition to that, we have false religions that are using the term Jesus, but mean a very different thing um, than what we mean when we say that. And so, Mark, in the first verse, gives us clarity on who Jesus really is. So, even if you find yourself saying this morning, I've heard all these stories before, Um, You still need to listen so that we can be crystal clear on who Jesus is, that we can be clear on what he has done. And if you're here and you don't know these stories well, or maybe you've never heard them before, um, you can listen and discover the truth about Jesus from the source, not what you hear from other people or on the media or anywhere else. So, because what we're going to see this morning is people get some great things from Jesus, But sometimes they miss who he really is. And so they settle sometimes for temporary comfort over eternal change and significance. And the question we have this morning is actually, could we be doing the same thing? Could we be undervaluing the mission and authority of Jesus? And so we're going to read some verses together from Mark uh, chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 21. Uh, this is page 887 in the Pew Bible that's in front of you, or you can follow along in the UVersion app um, if you would like. Uh, there's, if you go to events and then more, it'll show Brentwood Bible Church, and the verses will already be there for you. So let's read these together. We're going to read 21 through 45 um, all together. Um, so that when I go back through, I won't have to reread them, and we can kind of jump around a little bit. And so here we go. They went into Capernaum, and right away he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and began to teach. They were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them as one who had authority and not like the scribes. Just then, a man with an unclean spirit was in their synagogue, and he cried out, What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit threw him into convulsions, shouted with a loud voice, and came out of him. And they were all amazed, and so they began to ask each other, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once the news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity of Galilee. And as soon as they left the synagogue... They went into Simon and Andrew's house with James and John. Simon's mother-in-law was lying in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. And so he went to her, he took her by the hand, and raised her up. The fever left her, and she began to serve them. When evening came, after sun had set, they brought to him all those who were sick and demon-possessed. The whole town was assembled at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and drove out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up, went out, and made his way to a deserted place. And there he was praying. Simon and his companions searched for him. And then when they found him, they said, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let's go on to the neighboring villages so that I may preach there too. This is why I have come. He went into all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. And then a man with leprosy came to him, and on his knees begged him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. And moved with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. I am willing, he told him, be made clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And then he sternly warned him and sent him away at once, telling him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer what Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet he went out and began to proclaim it widely and to spread the news with the result that Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but he was out in deserted places and they came to him from everywhere." So we see these stories um, connected together. Um, One of the things that Mark actually likes to do is called uh, what's called a sandwich, where you have like a sore story about healing, and then you have some details, and then you have another very similar story about healing at the end. And so you're going to see this all the way through, and you can obviously see that this morning. There's healing, there's some stuff, and then there's a healing that's very similar. So we're going to kind of go through these, not necessarily in order, but I want you to see what's really happening here. And the first thing I want us to see is that Jesus teaches with authority. He teaches with authority. We see this in 21 and 22 when he goes away. Right away he enters the synagogue and he begins to teach and they were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching as one who had authority, not like the scribes so there's a little bit of work we need to do first because it sounds like like he just showed up at our church this morning and when it came time for the sermon we just let somebody we had never seen before come and preach the sermon right that's not something that we would do Um, but in this time um, the way that the service um, happened because of the way the synagogue was set up um, they would have it in a typical meeting they would have a reading from the law a reading from the prophets. And then someone would be invited to speak on those texts and explain them. So in this day, it was actually not uncommon for somebody to be called up, especially if they were a teacher, to come and speak on those. And so Jesus took advantage of this time and opportunity, and he spoke on the text to give clarity on the mission and purpose of his mission and purpose and how that even connected to the Old Testament. Um, We don't get a lot of examples of Jesus teaching in Mark. Um, Mark is, as we've said before, a man of action, and so he's showing what Jesus is doing. But in the other Gospels, we can see, um, in the other Gospels, Matthew, Luke, and John, we can see some of the things that Jesus taught in the synagogues. So Jesus teaches with authority, not on his own, um, not repeating things like the scribes would do, who are just kind of packaging info that they already have. Because typically, they would have a scribe teach at that last part in the synagogue. And the way they did that is essentially they would collect, like research, people's, other people's views on those texts or what they mean, and then they would just kind of read back to you what the other people had said. So, they were putting together sources to prove a point. They relied on outside sources, not on themselves. It's not altogether different than what I do in a sermon. Um, My authority in my preaching does not come from me. Um, I don't have any authority in myself, only what is given to me by God, and actually by you, because if I say something wrong, you guys can just say, this guy isn't teaching a false gospel, and you can get rid of me, so you're actually giving me the authority to teach you. So, thank you for that, and if you didn't know that, um, I remind you often that we should take that seriously, so if I do say something crazy, it's your responsibility to tell someone and to tell me. All right? So, that's what's happening. So, my preaching is not authoritative by itself. It's only authoritative as it's faithful to Scripture. The real authority comes from the material that I preach from, which is Scripture. And so, to some extent, I'm just kind of repackaging what other people have said through the centuries on these texts so that we can understand them. The illustrations and the applications are new, but that's just to help us understand how to live out and live under the authority that we are given. But Jesus, when he teaches, is completely different. He held true authority. He wasn't even like an expert who knew everything about something, and he understood everything that others had written and understood. He was his own source of wisdom and knowledge and authority. It was completely different than anything they had heard before because his authority came from himself. He wasn't just repeating what other people had said. This was essentially straight from God to them. And we see the response to that, right? They were all amazed in verse 27, and they began to ask each other, what is this, a new teaching with authority? So the question I just asked is, why does it matter to us that Jesus teaches with authority? Right? It's important, I think, that we understand it, especially in his teaching, that he's not repackaging or using older philosophies and religions and kind of putting them together. Right? This is something new and something different than what we have heard before. But Christianity is often accused, and some scholars say, well, this story in the Bible is just a redoing of a story that came from this myth from thousands of years before. But he's not repackaging, right? Think about movies. If you watch a lot of movies, usually about 20 minutes in, you kind of get this feeling like, I think I've seen this plot before, I've heard this story before, they're just repackaging it in a different way, and there might be a few twists, but even the twists are really not that surprising anymore if you can get a feel for the concept or the story that they are retelling. So that's not what Jesus is doing, he's not even repackaging that, he is over and above all other teachers and philosophies. And so you may hear, which I just kind of talked about, Jesus' teachings are similar to other religions, but what's happening is the other religions, the other belief systems have glimpses or pieces of the real truth. The only one that has the whole truth is the gospel. It's the teaching of Jesus Christ from the Bible. When I was thinking about this, I was reminded of the verse in 1 Corinthians 13. It says, For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. And So what that means for us is that when we, even when we read Scripture, or even when I'm teaching, we're doing it kind of dimly, like a bad reflection of the, of the truth. I think we can still trust that. Right, But if we're given the right prescription, we can all see it clearly. And for us, Jesus is that prescription. He sees clearly and he teaches clearly, and he can open our eyes to see the word clearly as well. His teaching is the only one that can be trusted. He teaches with authority. Next, we see that he heals with authority. So we have three healings here. Um, The unclean spirit at the beginning that cries out in the middle of a worship service. That would be kind of fun, kind of interesting if we just had somebody start crying out in the middle. Um, Maybe not. Well, I don't know. We'll see. Then we have Peter's mother-in-law who is healed from a fever. And then we have the man with leprosy. So we also see him kind of along the way where he just kind of says he heals everybody who was there. He healed many other people. And we see Jesus' authority throughout so we see this first, that the spirits recognize his authority. We see this very clearly in verse 24. What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And so when they say, what do you have to do with us? Um, we might say that today, like, why are you messing with us? Or what did I ever do to you? right? I was just here minding my own business. Everything was fine. There was no trouble until you showed up. And so what did I do to you that you came in and you started messing with what I was already doing? That's essentially what the Spirit is saying. Everything was fine until you showed up, right? I don't want any conflict. I don't want any trouble. You're not really supposed to be here. But notice that the Spirit also identifies him. It calls them the Holy One of God. And so the confession here of Jesus as the Holy One of God is interesting because he's talking to an unclean spirit. So he's essentially saying, you're clean, you're pure, you're holy, but I am unclean. And So Jesus, as the Holy One of God is the one who was sent by God, living by God's Spirit, and is truly holy, he is truly pure, he is truly clean, without sin or blemish, and has come to deal with uncleanness of all types, whether that's unclean spirits, or whether that's sickness or illness, physical or spiritual. And so they didn't just recognize him and call him by name, they also give us a glimpse of what Jesus has come to do. Because they say in the middle, right, have you come to destroy us? The unclean spirit understands what Jesus has shown. When he shows up, it's not good. Their very existence is at stake when Jesus enters the scene. And so we see that the spirits recognize who Jesus is and what he's capable of. So you would think, right, somebody shows up, I know they have the power and the authority to be able to essentially end my life. So, my response would probably be, I'm going to fight them. I'm going to be as antagonistic as I possibly can. I'm not going to do anything that they ask me or tell me to do. But what do we see next? We actually see the exact opposite. We see the spirits obey him. The spirits listened and obeyed. All Jesus says is, come out of him. Right, and then later the man with leprosy All he says is, be made clean. Those are the words Jesus uses to cast out the unclean spirit and heal the man with leprosy. This helps us understand the true power of Jesus. Because when we think of exorcisms and healings, and unfortunately for most of us, we see most of those in movies and on TV, we typically think of things like rituals. Right? You have to do these things in a certain order and there's a certain process or there's an incantation or there's certain words we have to say or certain prayers we have to pray or certain things we have to do. Everything has to go right for it to work. But Jesus doesn't do any of that. He just shows up and he says a couple of words and it's done. No ritual, no get all of your friends together tonight and we'll light candles and do this stuff together. No, bring a piece of this or a piece of that or pray this long prayer. He just commands it and it happens. He instantly brings results, which is really good news for us because Jesus has the authority and the power to change your situation with just a couple of words. No secret formula, no rituals, no process, just Jesus breaking into your life with power. And we also see that Jesus had power over them. We expect, right, a servant to be under authority and to take orders. But God's servant, which is Jesus, exercises authority and gives orders even to demons and his orders are obeyed. Right, they obey him and they do what he asks them to do. They leave, they are healed, all of those things happen. And we understand authority a little bit. As Americans, sometimes we have a weird uh, association with authority because we really don't like it, right? But because that is true, we actually only listen to those who we believe are actually in authority over us, right? If somebody who you think has no authority, like if some just random person comes off the street and says, you need to go sell your car, you're just going to completely ignore them. You're not going to do that at all. You're not going to pay them any attention. You're not going to pay them any mind, Now, if your parents said that or someone who you trust or your financial advisor or whoever, you're gonna listen to them and you're gonna respond and do what they ask, right? So you would think if Jesus had no authority over these demons, they would just ignore him and they would just keep doing what they were doing. But the fact that they obey him, right, almost immediately proves that Jesus has power over them. He is more powerful than them. But in the midst of all this, we see Jesus do an interesting thing, maybe something that we wouldn't necessarily do today. Um, he calls for silence. Right in verse 25, it says, Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. In verse 34, he says, And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And then in verse 44, he tells the man with leprosy, See that you say nothing to anyone. So why is he doing this? Why is he telling everybody to be quiet? You would think Jesus comes to earth. He's here to um, prove and show that the kingdom of God has broken into the world. You would think he would want everybody to know. Everybody needs to know that I'm here. But he again and again and again asks people, don't tell anybody. Just be quiet. And so why is he doing this? And I think it's because it's not the message he really wants to send. He isn't here just to heal people. It's more than that. So he didn't let the demon speak because, I don't know, why would you let a demon spread your reputation? I think that's probably a bad move in in, in itself. And so the source is some of that. But he also wanted to avoid being stereotyped as just someone who could heal you. It didn't represent the type of Messiah, the one to come to rescue us, that he was. He was. And so I think it's really because he didn't want people to understand his mission and his power. But even though he says to be silent, he tells people not to tell anybody, we see again and again and again that the news spread and people are coming from all over to be healed. The question I had when I was reading this is, is that really the news that Jesus wanted to be spread On the one side, the answer has to be yes, because Jesus doesn't really make mistakes. He doesn't do things haphazardly, so he knew that. But I think what's happening is people are beginning to misunderstand who Jesus is and why he is really here. And that brings us to our last point this morning, is that Jesus' authority is misunderstood. We see this in the people. The people, what did they come for? They came for healing. They came for relief. We see this in 32. When the evening came and the sun had set, they brought to him all those who were sick and demon-possessed. The whole town was assembled at the door. I just want to be healed. I just want to be better. And then verse... 45, the, the result of the news spreading was that Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but he was out in deserted places, and they came to him from everywhere. Now, Jesus is doing good things. He is helping people. People are being healed. People are being, having demons cast out of them, and those are good things. But imagine if we encountered this, right? There was news that some guy can heal anybody, doesn't cost anything. There's no fancy ritual. You just show up. I guess you're waiting in line until you get to the front, and then he heals you, and then it's gone. It's done. You're healed forever, right? Now, we would be skeptical at first, but after he's done this in several places, we would probably start to buy in and say, hey, if this guy can do this, I'm going to go, and I'm not going to ask any questions. I'm not going to wonder, is there something else he has to offer me? I'm just going to be healed, which isn't a bad thing, right? Being healed is a great thing, and we pray for that for people regularly. But in the case of Jesus, they were actually missing out by only being physically healed. So to the crowds, these diseases or things that they were experiencing were merely things in their lives that affected their function, right? I can't do this right anymore, or I can't walk, or am I whatever it is. It affects their ability to make money. It affects their lifespan or personal comfort. So, the crowd may have missed that Jesus was breaking into the kingdom of God through the power over demons and were only seeking relief for their problems. We see a similar thing from the disciples in verse 35. See, Jesus, he goes out and he prays, and then we see in 36, Simon and his companions search for him, and when they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. Right? The disciples go out and look for him. He's just been healing a lot of people. Jesus sort of disappears and goes out early by himself. And so the disciples, what they're saying kind of implies a little bit of annoyance with Jesus. Like, we're doing great things. People are coming from all over to heal, to be healed, to see you. Now isn't the time to go off by yourself. Now is the time to capitalize on the momentum of what is happening. They want essentially what we would do today is we would then start up the marketing machine, right? We need Facebook posts. We need a website. We need a social media strategy. We need all of these things. We need news stories so that people can have an idea and come and we can get more people coming and coming and coming to be healed. But Jesus answers them when they ask this, when they tell him this. And he said to them in verse 38. Let's go on to the neighboring villages so that I may preach there too. This is why I have come. Jesus reminds them of his true purpose. That he didn't just come to heal people. He didn't just come to make people feel better. That may happen along the way, but that's not why he has come. He has come to bring the kingdom of God and the forgiveness of sins. His main mission isn't just to make people feel better. Jesus' true mission and purpose is to preach the gospel, the word that the kingdom of God is here, that the Messiah is here, and you need to repent and believe. So his goal isn't to heal as many people as possible, but to confront men and demand a decision in response to God and His claim on their life. And real quickly, we see that His mission is actually built on prayer. That's what He's doing. Right? When everything was blowing up and going crazy, and it looked from the outside that everything was going amazing, Jesus went on His own and He prayed early in the morning. And So rather than being carried along by the popularity of the crowds, He goes back. And he refocuses with time and instructions from the Father. Which is probably, I think, the opposite of what we do. Right? When things are going well for us, that's the easiest time to forget to pray. Right? Everything is going great. I don't need anything. I'm doing well. Why do I need to pray? I don't need help. I've got this covered all by myself. Right? And then like... 20 minutes later, something goes wrong, and we're like, oh, I really didn't have this under control at all, right? But I think Jesus is a reminder that if we want to live the Christian life well, we need to seek God. We need to reach out to Him even in those times, because even if we forget Him and things are going well, it eventually will lead to trouble, So I think what's actually happening in this story and what we see from the reaction to the people is that the disciples and the people are undervaluing Jesus' authority. Yes, he has power over demons and over illness. Good things are happening, but he is offering them and is capable of so much more. And so the question for us this morning is this. Are you undervaluing Jesus' authority and his power? Or if I say it a different way, what are you hoping to get out of Jesus? Do we say things like, I just want to get some good advice for how to live out my week. I'm struggling a little bit today, and I think he can help me get through it. I'm doing okay, but I can't quite break through, and I think if I seek Jesus that I'll get the little extra I need to get over the top. Or I need a little hope just to get me through the day, or a little inspiration. Or I need a friend who can listen to me and help me. Or I just want the pain to stop. Or I just want my kids to behave. Right? Those things are all good, and Jesus can help us with those things. The issue is sometimes we only seek Jesus for those things, right? We only use him for comfort or for an easier life or to make it through the next hour. When we only use Jesus for our needs, our little basic needs, we miss out on his true authority Jesus is offering the kingdom of God to us to be under the authority of the greatest ruler there ever will be. One who truly understood what his people needed, not just to be healthy physically, but they needed spiritual healing as well. But instead of just speaking it, which would have solved, would, wouldn't have solved the problem of sin and separation from God, he sends his son his only son, to take the place and the punishment for all of his subjects who actually rebelled against him. And Jesus dies in our place and he takes the punishment for our sins so that we can have life, eternal life with the king. Healing your physical problems is temporary right? It only lasts until you get sick again or suffering comes, but Jesus is offering something permanent. Seeking and following Jesus isn't just about providing an easier or a more comfortable life. It's about submitting to His authority on your life, of surrendering to Him and following Him wherever that takes you, whether it's easier or harder to follow Him. And one of my, one of my prayers, one of my concerns as a pastor of a church, is that people would come week after week, or month after month, and year after year, and they would undervalue Jesus' authority the whole time. They would just say, "Well, going to church makes me feel better. It helps me get my week off to a good start. It gives me a little hope. It gives me some advice." And that they would come year after year and they would miss completely. That what Jesus is actually offering us is a completely different way of life. And the only way sometimes to get through some of those things is to give your life to him. To understand that you are a broken sinner in need of salvation. And that's why he came. That's his true power and authority. Yes, he can make us feel comfortable, but that's not why Jesus came. He didn't die for us so we could be more comfortable. He, came to a, he died for us because we were dead in our sins so that we could have life. And as we trust in Him, as, as we seek Him, He deals with all of that other stuff inside of us, the, the pride and the selfishness that usually leads to what we're uncomfortable about anyway. Right? He deals with all of those as we come, but first, we have to trust Him for our salvation, for the root issue of sin in our life. And that's what I think the people in this story were missing. I just want to feel better. And so they had an encounter with Jesus, but it wasn't a full encounter. And so my hope and prayer for those who are here and those who are listening is that you would have a full encounter with Christ, that you would feel his power and his authority over sin in your life, that you would trust in him and rely on him and believe in him. And if it gets more comfortable after that, great. And if it gets harder after that, it's still great because you're with Jesus, the king and ruler of the universe, the only one who has the truth, the only one who has true authority over everything else. And so what Jesus is actually doing in healing, if you kind of study this and what's happening in the culture, when he heals people or he cast the demon out of them, what he's really doing is he's restoring people to the worshiping community. Because in this time, if you were a Jew and you were, had an illness like leprosy, you were cast out of the community because you couldn't make anybody else unclean. Same thing with demon possession. And so he makes them clean so that they can be a part of the worshiping community. And I know I asked you a couple of questions, but I think this is another one you could throw on top of this is, what do you want god to restore for you or what do you want god to restore you to just to better health to comfort to an easier life or to salvation right are we undervaluing his authority by only seeking the surface level things and so let's seek him and trust in and believe in his true authority which is greater than anyone else for our salvation we pray with me this morning. God, we come before you this morning. and We thank you for who you are and for what you've done. God, we thank you for your authority, your true authority, which you clearly demonstrated in these stories, that you have authority over demons and over illness and over any other thing. We're going to see later the authority over creation, but you also have authority over sin and death. God, and I pray that you would help us to trust in you and rely on you for that first, for our salvation, for our sanctification, that even if we're in this room and we're already believers, that we wouldn't just say, I'm in, I have Jesus, I've trusted in his authority, he's the Lord of my life, and then we just, after that, we only ask for surface-level things. But that you you would continue to seek you, to renew our hearts, to reveal in us the places where we don't trust in you, where we try to do it on our own, so that we can come fully under your authority. Because the Bible tells us that's where we truly live the abundant life, the full life is under your authority. Because as the creator and the king, you actually know what's best for us. Better than we do, better than our friends, better than the person who knows us best. You actually know what's better for us than any of those people. So God, I would pray that you would help us to trust in you for our salvation above all other things. In your name I pray. Amen.